Faith Is. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and I'm really pleased to have you join us today. It is really an honor that you would take some time to listen to what I have to say and to think about some of the things that, that I'm convinced God would have us think about. I really appreciate you taking that time and maybe even sharing the idea of listening to this radio program or downloading the podcast with a friend. It's a, it's a, it's a great thing to think that you would consider anything that I have to say to be worthwhile or helpful in your life. I only do this because of two reasons. One, God called me to do it, and so I'm trying to live that out faithfully. And the second reason is I want to be useful to you. God didn't call me and give me gifts and graces to be a minister for my benefit. He gave them to benefit the people of God, and, and that's people like you. So thanks so much for joining us. We do do this for you, and we hope that it's beneficial. I am the pastor of Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida. It's a real church with real people, and we're just kind of regular folks trying to live life and figure out how to do all of that. And we have decided that part of what we'll do is give some energy and time to make this program for you. We call it Faith Is because we lead with the idea that faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And we want to help each other strengthen our confidence that God is trustworthy. You know, we won't trust someone that we don't think is trustworthy. And so we want to emphasize that we can trust God because he is trustworthy, and we have confidence in that trustworthiness that cannot be shaken. So that's where we come up with the idea that faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And I hope you're moving in that direction. I hope you're stretching toward that high calling, because it is what God challenges us to do. It is what God challenges us to become. It's not just about doing, it's about the kind of people we will become. And we want to be the kind of people that demonstrate in our lives that we have absolute confidence in God's trustworthiness. We do not want to be dominated by fear. We do not want to be driven by fear. We do not want to make our decisions based on fear. We want to live our lives, base our decisions on confidence in God. And so I hope you are developing that kind of confidence. If you're not, you can. And hopefully our time together today will help with that and move us all in God's direction. Now, this weekend is the beginning of, I have a hard time, I guess, coming up with my favorite on things, but because I like fall, it's one of my favorite times of the year. But when it comes to the church and the people of God, I guess I would have to say Advent is my favorite time of the year. And this weekend is the first Sunday of Advent. Now, you might celebrate the Lord's Day on Saturday, and the Bible gives us plenty of permission to do that. So when I say Sunday, if you happen to worship on Saturday, please understand that I'm using the general thing because most of us still think of Sunday as the day we set aside for worship. So this is the weekend that begins the season of Advent. Now, Advent has Latin roots. Uh, the word Advent has Latin roots. It really means coming. And sometimes we have heard people talk about it. it's a little bit of an antiquated reference. Maybe we need to bring it back, but, but they'll talk about the advent of our Lord or the coming of our Lord. That's what they mean when they say the advent of our Lord. Or sometimes you'll hear people refer to the second coming of Jesus as his second advent. 
second coming, Advent with roots in the Latin meaning coming. And so we focus our attention during this season of the year on getting ready for the coming of Christ. And so we do that with Advent. Advent begins before Christmas. We tend to, in our, how should I say, normal patterns, we tend to think about Christmas. We don't tend to think about Advent. Although in my lifetime, I think more and more churches are paying attention to the concept of Advent. And I think that's a good thing. And, and Advent is that period of time that consists of four Sundays, the four Sundays before Christmas. So in our uh, celebration this year, following our calendar, the first Sunday of Advent is the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And so we begin that celebration, and different churches do it different ways, different traditions do it, few things differently. That's fine. Many churches, many traditions, I've used it for years, use an Advent wreath where we light a candle each Sunday of Advent. So on the first Sunday of Advent, we light the first candle, and, and the second Sunday, we light the first candle and remind ourselves and then we light the second candle and so forth during the time until finally on Christmas Eve, when we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we light that final candle, which is a single tall white candle in the center of the Advent wreath. If you're not familiar with an Advent wreath, I would encourage you to consider that practice. If, if your church doesn't do it, consider doing it at home. And, and every time you sit down for a meal, light the candles. Now you'll need a few more than than five, because you'll need extra candles for the wreath. Now, the Christ candle, I think you'll get along pretty well with that. But um, you might want to consider doing that. Uh, really, if, if I was making the decisions about Christmas decorating or Advent decorating at, at our house, and, and my wife makes those decisions and implements them, she is um, uh, remarkable at that and extensive Anybody that sees what she does can't hardly believe she goes to that much trouble, but she does. And it's always extraordinarily well done. For me, if it was just me having to make that decision, I would have an Advent wreath. And that would be my Christmas or Advent decorations. Now, some of you are thinking, you wouldn't have a Christmas tree? Uh, if I had to choose between an Advent wreath and a Christmas tree, I'd choose the Advent wreath. I just like it that much. Uh, I don't know why. It wasn't part of my traditional uh, upbringing. We didn't think about such things way back then, but we do now and I do. And so that's just part of what we need to think about in terms of getting ready for the coming of the Lord. And, and all of that speaks to the idea of preparation. Advent, as it's celebrated by the church and has been celebrated down through the centuries, is a season of preparation. And it's well summarized by get ready for the coming of the Lord. How are we going to prepare for his coming? Now, it's, it's important to recognize, and we'll circle around this several times today, probably, that it's important to recognize that when we think about getting ready for the coming of the Lord, we're not just thinking about the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. That's important. That's a part of it. Not trying to diminish that, not trying to distract us or move us away from that. Clearly, Advent is focused on the celebration that God gave us the gift of his Son, who took on human form, even looking like a baby, 
born the way all humans are born. He came to live among us. We use fancy words like incarnation. That is hugely significant. And so when we think about getting ready, we think about getting ready for the birth of Jesus. That's part of what's going on. There's no question about that. But what sometimes gets missed and what we need to reintroduce or remind ourselves of is that Advent is also about getting ready for the second coming of Jesus. And that's really important because over and over the Bible tells us, be ready, be ready. And we'll talk about that probably a little bit more as we go along. But if there's one thing I could help people with when it comes to thinking about end of times events, I'll just add this so I don't forget it. There's one thing I would say to people over and over, the Bible tells us to be ready. We get all caught up into dramatic stories of what about this and what about that and prophecy this and prophecy that. But over and over, the Bible says, be ready. So Advent being the time we celebrate the coming of the Lord is also the time that we take seriously preparation for his coming. So, how are you going to prepare for the coming of Jesus? Now, don't just rush by that too quickly. How are you going to prepare for the coming of Jesus? Now, notice how I framed that question. It wasn't done lightly or just by happenstance. I did not say, how are you going to prepare for Christmas? That's not what I'm getting at here. What I'm getting at is, how are you going to prepare for the coming of Jesus? If we celebrate the coming of Jesus at Christmas, if we remind ourselves that Jesus is coming again and we need to be ready, then it's important during this time of year, during these Sundays leading up to the arrival of Jesus and the celebration of his birth, we need to think about, we need to put into practice how we're going to prepare for the coming of Jesus. In other words, we need to actually prepare for the coming of Jesus. Now, right up front, if you've not made a commitment to following Jesus, this is where you can start thinking about that. How are you going to prepare for the coming of Jesus? For he will come. And if you haven't made that commitment, this is the season of year to think seriously about that and to rethink that and to Start your preparation so that you can become a follower of Jesus. So you can say, there's room in my heart for thee. So how are you going to prepare for the coming of Jesus? Now, when we think about this time of the year, we don't necessarily focus the way I'm suggesting it. We think about a lot of things because there's so much preparation to do. There are so many things we want to do to get ready for our celebration of Christmas, which comes at the end of the season of Advent. So, so when I talk about preparation, some of us probably have preparation on our mind already, maybe decorations. Many, many people put their decorations up, their Christmas decorations up right after Thanksgiving. That's their tradition. That's what they do. Maybe they put up lights outside to brighten up the neighborhood and to decorate their house to make it festive. Maybe they work on things inside more. This might be the weekend people would put up a Christmas tree and decorate it and, and enjoy it for a longer period of time. 
Now, it might not be the time you put up your Christmas tree, because if you use a live Christmas tree, you might be thinking, well, that's going to come down the road a little bit. And if you go out and actually cut down your own tree and haul it home, that's even more preparation for that Christmas tree. So, you know, we're thinking about all these kind of things, these decorations, these things that we do to make this time of the year special for us and for our families. You might also be thinking about the gifts you're going to need to buy. That's all part of the preparation. I suppose there are a few of you rascals out there that have already finished your shopping. And so you're just saying to all your friends, yeah, my shopping's finished. Nah, 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 nah. Well, good for you. I congratulate you. Most people are thinking about it. Some people have started, maybe a lot of people, but a lot of people have it and they've still got that to to plan for and to get ready for. It's part of the preparation for Christmas, but it's not part of preparing for the coming of Jesus. Nothing wrong with it, but it's not quite the same. Now, maybe your preparation involves cooking, and maybe there are certain things that you make during this time of the year leading up to Christmas that that you're, you and your family enjoy, and maybe you only make certain cookies or other treats, candy, during this season. And so that's part of your preparation. You look forward to it every year. And so you want to, to make time to do that. And so you plan on doing that. You try to figure when you need to have that done, all those kind of things. You have to think about what you need to buy, supplies that you need, the ingredients for the recipes, all those kinds of things. Now me, I'm not a cook, but I think about the season differently. I'm preparing for how I'm gonna have a little extra peppermint. Because for me, this is peppermint season. And I like that. So, you know, that's one of the things that I think about is that's a kind of a treat. And, and that's just part of this season of the year, Advent and Christmas. And, but that's really not preparing for the coming of Jesus, but it's something we do. Now, maybe you're thinking about parties or concerts or church events. Maybe you're involved in some kind of special presentation at your church. And so you're having extra rehearsals and you're getting ready for that. Maybe the kids are having a program of some kind and you're helping them get ready. There are costumes to make and lines to learn and all those kinds of things. Or, or maybe it's you don't have those responsibilities. Maybe you're just thinking about the special events that you get to attend. Maybe you're just going to show up and enjoy and watch the presentation, although you didn't have a part in, in getting ready for it. All of these kind of things go into making the season we call Christmas, better called Advent, special to us and help remind us of what matters. But they can also distract us. So we need to think about how are we going to prepare for the coming of Jesus? Because that's really specific. Now, part of the preparation may be family get-togethers. You may have some family traditions around when you have uh, gatherings at your house or somebody else's house. Maybe you have to travel someplace to get together with your family. All of those things are good and proper, and, and that's good, and, and I wouldn't discourage that. But remember, that's not preparation for the coming of Jesus. That's a different sort of activity. But if you've got family get-togethers, enjoy them. Maybe you can use those as a way to remind yourself that one day we're going to have that great get-together when Jesus does come again. So, you know, you can think about a lot of things when you're going through your normal seasonal preparations and, and experiences, but just don't mistake those for specific preparation for the coming of Jesus. 
maybe part of your preparation this year and your family is there's a new baby in the family. Babies are fun, aren't they? And we all think about how are they going to experience Christmas? And if they're real small, they don't really know anything's going on. We do our best to help them, but they don't get it. But there's always next year, we remind ourselves and, and that's good. And, and maybe you're looking forward to all of that. That's a good thing. That's that kind of stuff helps us with the reminder of anticipation and getting ready because we're anticipating the arrival of Jesus. But it's not exactly specific preparation for his coming. Now, I suppose when we talk about all of these things that are enjoyable, the food to eat, the gatherings to go to, the special events to attend, the family to get together, I suppose it's fair and appropriate for us to also consider that maybe this year, as you prepare for this special season that you're preparing in the absence of someone that you lost this past year. Maybe a loved one died and they're not here this year to celebrate. And it's, it's a hole in the, in the celebration. And there's no doubt that it is. Maybe this is your first Christmas without them. And that year of first is always challenging. And yes, you will manage because you have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And you will remind yourself of that. And yes, you will get through. You will still miss your loved one. I wouldn't minimize that for a second. But we will maximize our confidence that God is faithful. And so you may be preparing that way and kind of stealing yourself for how will you handle one thing or another. Well, lift up your head, raise your vision a little bit, understand that that's reality, but Put that in the context of how are you going to prepare for the coming of Jesus? So anyway, you, you begin to understand that there are a lot of things we think about when it comes to preparation. So this idea of preparation is not unusual this time of year. What I think people miss, because many of us haven't experienced a focus on Advent all of our lives, and so we're learning this as we go along, I think maybe what we haven't really made enough a part of our lives is this question, uh, how are you preparing for the coming of Christ? Remember, I'm not asking, how are you preparing for Christmas? That's a reasonable and that's a fine question. You may ask each other that. Sure. People will ask you that. Nothing wrong with that. But my question is, how are you preparing for the coming of Jesus? So we need to think about that specifically. Think about that question. What are the things that you're going to do this time of year to prepare for the coming of Jesus? Now, my sense is that a lot of people, they approach this time of the year and all that goes with it, and they think, you know, this year it's going to be different. I'm not going to get caught up in the busyness, the rush, the hurry, the distractions. I'm going to focus on the things that matter to me, and I'm going to say no to things. And then January comes, and they look back and say, hmm, I fell into the same patterns I've always fallen into. So one of the things I want to help us think about is how to avoid that, how to help us prepare for the coming of Jesus in a way that will help us focus on that which matters. And at the end of the season, once we get past December 25th, we'll be able to say, I was glad I did this. I was glad that I changed some of these behaviors, that I made some of these decisions. So let's think about preparing for the coming of Jesus. 
you've probably looked ahead as, as have I, and I probably look ahead more than anybody else this time of the year, because, well, <laughs> it's kind of what I do. And so I need to be aware, but you probably are aware that Christmas day is on a Saturday this year, December 25th is a Saturday. That's, that's fine. That's okay. We've had them on other days of the week. We're not affected by that particularly, except for this. I want to start our preparation at that point in December, and I want us to think ahead a little bit about that, because this is where I think so many of us get caught up in things, and then we, we more or less lose control of what we think is important and what we really would prefer to do. So December 25th is Christmas Day, so let's think this way, all right? So here's another question for you. What do you usually do the day after Christmas. Now, you probably have an idea because you probably have some patterns of what you do the day after Christmas. All the excitement's over. There's a certain amount of letdown usually, which there again, even knowing that that's coming is a clue for us to prepare differently, to get ready differently. So what do you do the day after Christmas in a typical year? All right. First thing some people think is, I recover. I'm exhausted the day after Christmas. I get that. I understand that. Lots of people are. So that might be what people think. I recover. I sleep in. I whatever. Some other people think, well, that's, that's the day that I go out and I get all the markdown sales. I can make the returns of the things that, that people didn't want or that I got and I don't want. And I can get what I do want at a bargain price because of all the sales that are out there. So I'm going to, I'm going to do that. Now, some people, some people probably think <laughs> maybe not many, but some people probably think, Oh, good. The day after Christmas means more football. Well, I don't know whether you think that or not, but some people do, but the point is not what do I think, or what does somebody else think? The point is what do you usually do the day after Christmas? Okay, now, now take it to this year. This year, what are you going to do the day after Christmas? Now, you've probably thought ahead already. You know where I'm going with this, and that's good. I'm glad you did. But don't rush by too quickly. You see, the reason I ask that is because Christmas Day is on Saturday, and that means the day after Christmas is Sunday. Or we used to say, and probably need to start saying again, it's the Lord's Day. So the question is a little different now. What are you going to do on the Lord's Day that comes the day after Christmas? So if we're going to take seriously this idea of preparation, this idea of preparing for the coming of Jesus, then we have to think about how are we going to handle December 26th? Because that becomes part of our preparation, because in the flow of, the, of life, the way we've always experienced it, and the way we celebrate that's going to be a pivotal day because that matters. So you need to decide now how you're going to handle December 26th. I can hear some of you going, oh boy, you got to be kidding me. December 26th, that's a, that's a long time away. I don't even know what I'm doing tomorrow. Well, no excuses. Okay, let's just get over the excuses and let's just stop and think. If we're serious about preparing for the coming of Jesus, then we have to be serious about a decision about December 26th. Okay, because 
what we decide about December 26th, Sunday, the Lord's Day, reflects what's really important to us. Yeah, it really does. So what I'm going to suggest to you right now is that you decide to put everything else aside and make attending church on December 26th your top priority. Decide now that absolutely nothing is going to interfere with being in church on that day, on December 26th. Okay? See, if you don't decide now, you know what will happen. I know what will happen. It doesn't take a prophet to know what will happen. If you don't decide now, you risk allowing the swirl of events to overwhelm your good sense and keep you from being in church December 26th. See, this is a moment of honesty, and we have to understand how we are and how we think, and, and we need to talk about what it means to, to take those kind of things seriously. And we talked for the last three weeks, if you've been listening, and if you have, have it, get the podcast and go back and listen. We've talked about Daniel and his friends and how they resolved that allegiance to God mattered more than life itself. More than anything else, they were going to put God first, and they did. Now, it's not anywhere near the risk of a fiery furnace or a lion's den, but December 26th and what you decide to do on December 26th is one of those allegiance moments. It really is. You see, I, I can imagine what will happen. If you treat Sundays or the Lord's Day rather casually, then, then you might wait until you wake up on Sunday morning to decide what you're going to do on Sunday. Too many people do that. Uh, knock that stuff off. Don't be that person, okay? Because I know from experience, you agree, because you know from experience that, that December is so busy with all of our celebrations that you're going to wake up tired on December 26th. And so you're going to have to decide ahead of time that tired is not going to be an excuse to put God second. You're going to resolve that wherever you are, whatever you've been doing, you will be in church on December 26th. Put God first. It, it just matters. It's just important. So the question is, will you decide that today, right now, even before December is here? Will you decide that December 26th is going to be the day you put God first? So are you ready to decide that? Make up your mind. You're not going to be moved. This is what's going to happen. Because if you make up your mind that that's what's going to happen, it will affect your behavior leading up to that. And you just might and probably will have an extra nap on the afternoon of Christmas because you know you're going to be in church the next day. It may just mean you'll go to bed earlier that night so you can get a good night's sleep so you can wake up refreshed and ready to go to church on December 26th, because you're, you're recognizing that when you put God first with even what some people will say, well, that's a simple thing. Surely God understands. No, I don't think God understands. God knows our hearts. Okay. So let's just get over that nonsense. I'm not trying to be difficult or judgmental or legalistic. I'm just trying to be honest. God knows who we are and he knows we can make decisions to do better if we want to. So put God first and start now. And now, if you want to help yourself, there's another way you can help yourself on that same weekend. Start now deciding you're going to go to a Christmas Eve service someplace. I hope your church has one. Not every church does, but you can find one and make up your mind. You're going to put God first. You're going to put the 
the preparation for the coming of Jesus first by making sure you find a Christmas Eve service to attend. You know, we say we need to keep Christ in Christmas. Lots of people say that. So let's do that. Let's keep Christ in Christmas. So you're focused on that weekend. You're going to find a Christmas Eve service to attend because you're going to demonstrate to your family and friends that preparing for the coming of Jesus matters more than anything else. And you're going to do the same on December 26th. Nothing's going to keep you from gathering with the people of God and celebrating the birth of Jesus on December 26th. No sale at a store, no return, no nothing, no tiredness, no, well, I've got family in visiting from out of town. Hey, take them with you to church. They don't want to go, then just say, well, God loves you and so do I. I'll be back after I'm finished at church. It's a powerful testimony and one they may need. So how are you going to prepare for the coming of Jesus? It's different, as I've tried to explain, than how are you going to prepare for Christmas and all of the celebrating that we're used to and that we enjoy. It's different because it's specifically focused on how are you going to prepare for the coming of Jesus? Because our preparation means we prepare for his coming and we celebrate his incarnation, his birth. But we also recognize that one day he's going to come as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he's going to make all the wrong things right. He's going to come as the righteous judge, and he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. He's going to be a totally different experience than he was when he came the first time. And we need to get ready for that. So, well, we've explored that idea. How are you going to get ready for the coming of Jesus? We're going to explore it a little bit more. I hope I haven't uh, discouraged you. I hope I can begin to get you to think seriously about this, because when we prepare, then we're ready. And readiness for the coming of Jesus makes all the difference. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Talk some more. Because of COVID-19, many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 112 times per month. But by simply keeping our immune system strong, we can stay healthy and put our worries at ease. One little known way to do this is by taking AC11, a patented supplement from a plant in the Amazon rainforest. Studied for over 20 years and backed by over 40 scientific peer-reviewed studies, Taking AC11 has been proven to extend the life of immune cells called leukocytes, allowing you to boost immunity naturally. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of AC11. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. the cancel culture is determined to destroy our history, bringing violence and terror to city streets. America Out Loud will enhance its own message of love and honor for the American traditions and constitutional values that have always been the backbone of what America means. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. America Out Loud Talk Radio liberty and justice for all.
Welcome back. This is Pastor Rick Stevens. We've been talking about getting ready for the coming of Jesus. So glad you joined us. So hopeful this is helpful because what we need to do is we need to challenge ourselves to move in God's direction and to stretch toward his high calling, not to, not to diminish ourselves, not to go for the lowest possible what we can get away with, and surely God will understand. No, we're here to help us stretch in God's direction so we can be the people of God in every sense of that word and in every way that we can to faithfully represent our commitment, our allegiance to him. And we've been talking about preparing for the coming of Jesus, not preparing for Christmas, but preparing for the coming of Jesus. And, and I suggested a couple of ideas. I said, start with December 26th and make up your mind, resolve to be in church on December 26th. Nothing's going to keep you from being there. Maybe you and your family, it depends what responsibilities you have, but you can certainly be responsible for you. Make up your mind that, that nothing is going to interfere with that. Nothing. You will be tempted. Decide now put those temptations aside. I suggested if we're going to prepare for the coming of Jesus, we should consider, and I said more than consider, make up your mind you're going to find a Christmas Eve service to attend. I suggested if your church doesn't have one, find a church that does and go to Christmas Eve service. By doing that, you are physically showing what matters more than anything else in your life, and I would encourage you to do that because we're going to keep Christ in Christmas. Well, so then if, if you're thinking ahead of me, and probably some of you are way ahead of me, you, you're not going to be surprised when I say, uh, well, what about the other Sundays leading up to December 26th? Well, I'm so glad you asked, because yes, I'm going to suggest that if we're preparing, if we take seriously preparation for the coming of Jesus, if we really believe he's coming, if we really believe he came, then we should take seriously what we do this time of the year to prepare for his coming because he will come again. So yes, you should be in church every Sunday, or if your church meets on a day other than Sunday, you should be there every weekend because that's just what we need to do to have a new habit or to restore a lost habit. Maybe you used to be in the habit of being in church every time, but you keep saying to yourself and everybody else, but, but life is so hectic and I'm so busy. Well, this is the time of the year to restore a lost habit. If you've been lax in that, and if you begin to consider, well, if I'm in church once a month or twice a month, that's regular enough for me. Well, let me suggest you restore a lost habit and make it your intention and show up to church every Sunday because you're demonstrating before heaven and earth what matters. So this is the first weekend, the first Sunday of Advent. Maybe you're hearing this after it's too late to get to church. Well, start next week. Make up your mind that, whoops, I missed one. All is not lost. Start next week, and then don't miss a week. You see, we need to decide that we're going to be there. As, make it as firm a commitment as any commitment in your life. Why not? Isn't God worth that? Aren't we, by our testimonies, faithful followers of Jesus, doesn't faithfulness mean that we're there? We're not skating on those kind of responsibilities. We're going to be there. Uh, you know, and I know, and all of heaven and earth knows that we do what is important to us. And so we need to make sure that, that being in church is something we do because we say it's important. 
And I know this time of the year, we say yes to some things and, and people regularly say no to other things because of things that they only do once a year. Lots of activities come to a halt because we're busy doing that. We've decided we want to do this with our family or our close friends or whatever. So this is a time of the year for all kinds of decisions like that. So make the decision now that you will be in church every Sunday because you're going to make this year the year Christ comes first. Make it an absolute commitment. And, and no, busyness is not an excuse. You see, what I mean by that is when we decide to set apart the Lord's Day for the Lord, then part of that decision is making an agreement with ourselves before him that we're going to do all the rest of the stuff on the other days of the week and get it done. And if we can't get it done, then we're going to start saying no to some things because we're not going to allow those lesser things to crowd out the more important things. So that's what I mean. Don't let anything get in the way. And uh, I, I think it's real important that we just take this kind of stuff seriously. Uh, I, I want you to do what puts Christ first in your life. And I want you to decide what that is. It might not be what I've suggested. I, I, I just don't know. I, but I want you to do, do that this year because it's, it's the right thing to do. You know, your children and grandchildren might hear you say, no, I can't do that because I'm going to be in church. And that's hard to say. I, I know that. I'm thankful my children and grandchildren would expect me to say that. But maybe yours don't. But you know, when they realize that God matters more to you than they do, that's a strong statement. Now, yeah, they might try to guilt you by telling you that, but we only have a limited time, or why aren't you giving us the attention that we need, or whatever else that they might say. But you can say to them, yes, you're important, but you're not as important as faithfulness to Christ because I'm going to demonstrate my faith and he is trustworthy. And I'm going to trust that this is the right thing to do because he's asked me to do it. So there you go. Now you think I'm running out of ideas. I got a couple more here. Well, really only one more preparation idea. And yes, just until before you even say anything, I hear some of you saying, well, I don't have time for one more idea. Well, just knock that stuff off. You do have time for this. If you give up watching the first part of Wheel of Fortune every night, you'll be okay. You'll have time to do what I'm about to suggest. You see, we get into habits of things that we enjoy, and God calls us to do the things that matter, not the things we enjoy. It doesn't mean that he sucks all the enjoyment out of life. That's just, that's just nonsense. Don't go down, down that road. Don't go there. But what it does mean is that some things matter more. And so here's one more preparation idea. We're coming up on December 1st. And this is an idea that'll help you do something you may never have done. Now, you might have done it before. It's not a new idea. It pops up every year. But here's what I want you to do. On December 1st, I want you to start reading the Gospel of Luke. And on December 1st, read chapter 1. On December 2nd, read chapter 2. December 3rd, read chapter 3. And so forth, all the way through the month of December. Then on Christmas Eve, December 24th, you will read the final chapter of Luke. And you will have read the whole book of Luke through the month of December. Now, 
some people have never read an entire book of the Bible. Can you believe that? Well, believe it, it's true. We look at the Bible and we say, man, that's a big book. How could I ever read that whole thing? And so we, we give up before we try. So this is a simple bite-sized opportunity that we can read through the Gospel of Luke, one chapter a day, all the way through December 24th. Now, again, stretch in that direction, but understand if you forget a day, you know, things like that happen. None of us are above forgetting. It's just the way it goes. But pick it up and, and continue on. If you miss a day, read that next day until you catch up. It's not overwhelming. And you can pick a translation that you like. You don't have to read a certain English translation. Pick one that's enjoyable for you. We're reading to enjoy the story and to make the scriptures part of our lives. So this is your opportunity. Now, I agree. Some people just say, well, I don't really enjoy that. That becomes more of a discipline for me. Yeah, I, I get that. And it's possible. So I want you to think about the story I heard about, about a runner. This guy ran consistently. I don't remember how much he said he ran, but, but he would run consistently, didn't miss many days because that was his practice. And, and one of his friends one time said to him, wow, you must really love running. And the, the runner said, no, some days I can barely stand it. Well, his friend responded, well, why do you run so much then if you don't like it, if you can barely stand it some days? And the runner looked back at him and smiled and said, I love having run. You see, he celebrated the fact that he did it. He didn't necessarily enjoy every step of that mile or two that he ran, but he loved at the end of the time being able to look back and say, I did it. I ran. I, and he loved that feeling. See, that's what I want for you with this preparation for the coming of Jesus. All these things that I suggested, and there are many other ways you could prepare for the coming of Jesus and get yourself in the right mindset. But all of these things, the idea is at the end, when you're done, being able to look back and say, yes, I did that. I wasn't sure I could. In fact, going in, I didn't think I could, but I did it. And I'll be glad and I'll rejoice with you. And you will be so glad you did that. That's the point. We can do this. You can do this. Let's just resolve like Daniel did. Let's just make up our minds. Nothing's going to distract us. And we're going to get there. Fair enough? Good. Well, let's turn our attention to a portion of the Gospel of Luke. We just talked about that. You'll get there on day 21, because I'm going to pick up in the 21st chapter of Luke and just read a few verses. They are verses that, that we read during Advent. And sometimes people are surprised by them. But remember, preparing for the second coming of Jesus is part of Advent. So I want to pick up Jesus' words in Luke chapter 21, verse 25. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. 
Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. You see, those are the words of Jesus, and that's why there's urgency to this preparation for the coming of Jesus. It mentions some things that get people's attention, unusual things in the sun, moon, and stars, all, all the anguish that's going, going to go on on the earth, and, and all of the related things, people being terrorized by all of that and apprehensive of what's coming. And he says at that time that the Son of Man will come. And here's what needs to be our focus. Not all of the the terrible things that are happen, happening. One English translation, the message, described those events in, in verse 25 in a, in a rather colloquial but descriptive way. Eugene Peterson in that English translation said, it'll be like all hell is breaking loose on the world. And I thought about that at first, and I thought, well, that's really an unusual expression to be in an English translation of the Bible. It's not an expression that all of us use. But then I got to thinking, he's right, because much of what that will be, seems to me, is evidence that that evil is in its last gasp and is acting out, as we sometimes say, in a way to get our attention and to attempt to push back on the coming of Jesus. But the scriptures here say, after all of those strange and terrible things, that that we will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Let me tell you, that means he's going to come in a way he didn't come the first time. He's going to come with all the power and justification and the right to make things right, to get rid of evil and to lift up his people and to make things the way they were supposed to be all along. That's a powerful statement. Other places in the scripture it describes his coming as coming as a righteous judge. He will have all the authority he needs to do all of the house cleaning that's necessary at that time. And it says in verse 20, is that 28? Yes, 28, that when we see all that stuff, we should stand up and lift up our heads because, as this English translation says, your redemption is drawing near. This is the New International Version that I'm reading from today. Others say your salvation is near. Same idea. Think about that. That's pretty exciting stuff. When we see all this stuff coming, salvation is near. He's on his way. Rescue is at hand. That's salvation. That's good news. That's worth getting ready for, don't you think? So all of you who are kind of upset with me for my specific stuff about preparation, this is why. It's going to be worth it. We've got to be ready. Redemption is drawing near. Salvation is at hand. He goes on and talks about the parable of, of the fig tree to talk about the certainty of his coming so that we won't be concerned, will he come or not? And verse 32 is kind of a challenging verse because he talks about this generation will certainly not pass away. A lot of controversy, or maybe controversy is the wrong way of saying that. A lot of difficulty in interpreting that verse. I like to think that, that, that Jesus probably was referring to, and this is just my 
my sense. I'm not saying that this is what everybody believes, okay? But I think that Jesus may have been referring to the fact that when people see these signs happening, that that they can be assured that they will live through them and they will see his coming. And then he gives us those really famous words, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away, never pass away. Then he goes on to say, don't get distracted. He talks about carousing and drunkenness and the anxieties of life. Don't get distracted by all of that. You don't want to miss his coming because of that. And, and you need to focus on that which matters, which is what we've been talking about. For those of us who live on the earth, we'll see him. And he ends this section right here that I read. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Be ready is what he's saying there. Be alert, watch, and be ready for his coming because it's going to be magnificent for the people of God. For the people that are ready, it's going to be amazing in, in ways that are difficult to describe. But that's the heart of preparation of Advent. That's why it matters so much. And that's why I'm willing to talk so specifically about how we prepare. Now, some people might say, well, that's all well and good, but how do we know Jesus really was the Messiah, is the one that we can expect again? And I went through some of those questions in my younger years. I think a lot of people do. At first, I thought there must be something wrong with me. Then I found out later there really is something wrong with me but it wasn't that. I just needed answers to satisfy my understanding, and, and amazingly, in his kindness, God led me to some that really helped me develop absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. Uh, maybe that's one reason I want to help you develop that kind of confidence. Well, my favorite story for this time of the year, and it fits on the first weekend, the first Sunday of Advent, because we usually talk about prophecy on the first Sunday of Advent, and I really like the story. There was a man named Peter Stoner many years ago who did some work on the science of probability. Now, Peter Stoner liked math. He didn't, I don't know, he never told me that. I never, never met him, but he did a lot of calculations from the things I've read about him. He worked on probabilities. And, and so he began to study the, the prophecies that predicted the coming of Messiah. And there are many, and, and we can argue over how many, but there are many. And, and many times there are just little small references to Messiah, but they all count as many references or prophecies to the coming of Jesus as Messiah. Now, some of them are more specific. So this science of numbers became impossibly large when he was figuring the probabilities. So, so Peter Stoner decided that he would calculate the probability that just eight of the specific prophecies of the coming of Jesus were fulfilled in the life of Jesus, and was he really the Messiah? What was the probability that these would be fulfilled in him? And since they were, that points to him being the Messiah. So he chose specific ones, like being born in a main, in Bethlehem, that a messenger would prepare his way like John the Baptist did, that he would enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and he did that on what we call Palm Sunday. He factored in that the Messiah would be betrayed he factored in that he would be betrayed at the price of 30 pieces of silver. He factored in that that silver would be used to buy a potter's field for burial. He factored in that he would be silent while he was afflicted, while he suffered. And he factored in that he would die by having his hands and feet pierced. So he took eight specific prophecies of the Messiah, and he wanted to figure out what's the likelihood 
of these being fulfilled by one man, specifically by Jesus. And so he calculated the odds of that. Now, it's, a, it's an impossibly large number, except people that handle these kind of things know how, but he calculated that the, the odds of that happening were one in 10 to the 17th. That's, that's a one with 17 zeros behind it. That's a big, big number. If anybody offers you one in 10 to the 17th pennies, take it before they change their mind. You'll be glad you did. But that's such a big number that we have a hard time getting our mind around that. How could one person fulfill all eight of those specific prophecies? And how could we know who that person is? How likely is it that that person would fulfill those eight? What's the probability that that would happen? Now, to take more than that, the number becomes just huge. And so we don't even consider those. Uh, if, you, if you take the idea that that Jesus fulfilled 48, say, and there are more than 48, 48 prophecies, the number becomes one in 10 to 157. So you see, it's a huge number. Now, the, the eight prophecies is, is big enough. So in order to illustrate that, Peter Stoner said, here's how to know if Jesus was the one. He said, imagine that you take the state of Texas, and somehow, some way, you're able to cover the entire state of Texas knee-deep in silver dollars, or two feet deep in silver dollars. So you got a mental, mental picture of that, the entire state of Texas, and Texas is a big place. But you're covering the entire state of Texas two feet in silver dollars. Well, that's the number of silver dollars in one in 10 to the 17th. That's how he calculated it. That's a, that's a, so you see, that's a huge number. That's a lot of silver dollars. Now, the odds of Jesus fulfilling those eight prophecies are illustrated this way. Now imagine having covered the state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars. You grab one of those silver dollars from somewhere in the state, your choice, and you mark that silver dollar with a red cross representing Jesus. Then you take that silver dollar and you toss it into the pile of silver dollars covering the state of Texas, and you stir. And you mix that in so that nobody knows where it is. And so then you find a person, a, a willing volunteer, and you blindfold that person, and you turn them loose in Texas and say to them, you can go anywhere in Texas. Now, now they're blindfolded, you see, so they are limited somewhat, but, but you tell them you can go anywhere in Texas, and, and you, with this blindfold on, have one chance to find that silver dollar that we marked with a red cross signifying Jesus. The odds of that person finding that silver dollar while blindfolded and traversing the entire state of Texas are astronomical. It just couldn't happen. But Jesus did fulfill eight of those specific prophecies, and it gives us strong, strong evidence that he's the one. You see, when we talk about having absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God, we have to know with certainty that God is, and that we can have confidence in him. And part of that is knowing that he sent his son Jesus, and that we can have confidence that the Jesus the Bible reveals is the one that God sent. How else could he have fulfilled even eight of those prophecies? I just love that story because it just speaks to me with the sense of confidence and hope that we can trust him. I call the story Silver Dollars Over Texas because they were everywhere, but there is one who stands out.
And while I could never pick him at random out of all those silver dollars, and you likely could not either, God in his mercy sent us a Savior that fulfilled the prophecies so that we could have confidence in him and we could trust him. So when you think about preparing for the coming of Jesus, remember, it's more than just an exercise, and it's more than just a good feeling, and it's more than just that time of the year. It's a serious responsibility to make sure our hearts and our lives are ready, for he surely is going to come. And when he comes the next time, it will be as the righteous judge the scriptures speak of. It will be as the one who has full authority, and I'm so glad he does, to make all of the wrong things right. He is the one who is able to once and for all deliver us from evil. We pray that in the Lord's Prayer, and one day that's going to happen. And that's the hope. That's the hope we have in his coming. Hey, we'll be back next week to pursue Advent some more. Enjoy your preparation. I'll see you then.